We want to thank you for listening to audio from the Hill Church. We exist to glorify God by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives together. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry or donate online, please visit us at thehillsd.org. Good to see everyone again this morning. So if you have a Bible, please open it to Luke chapter 2. We've been there for a couple weeks. Luke chapter 2. Let me just say to all of you, Merry Christmas, officially. It is hard to believe that we're just three days out. Christmas is here. And we come this morning to our, our third week in our Christmas series. We're calling The Wonder of the Story. And last week we, we worked through probably one of the most familiar Christmas texts in the Bible. And we talked about, we're familiar, most of us, with the shepherds, the angels, the manger, the inn, which had no room for the Son of God. And from Matthew's presentation, we, we know of the wise men from the east, the bright star which led uh, them to Bethlehem, the frankincense and myrrh, and Joseph and Mary's flight to Egypt trying to evade King Herod. All these familiar stories really do shape our and form our Christmas season. This morning, in this third week, we're going to dive into a Christmas text no less important, but probably much less familiar to you. Maybe I won't speak for you, but at least I can say I don't really recall any Christmas memories, including the names Simeon or Anna. But these two figures play a significant, key, essential role in the Christmas story, especially as it relates to really understanding the identity of this child born to us, Jesus Christ. So we are going to continue in Luke chapter 2, and our aim is, is the same as it's been. We're trying to recapture the wonder of the story. So we're going to look particularly at verses uh, 21 to 40 this morning. And I think what we find there is essential testimony concerning the identity of this child, Jesus Christ. Now, I think we all know something of the importance and the nature, the powerful nature of, of testimony, as, especially when trying to determine truth. In our legal system, the testimony of a single witness can make or break the case as long as it's credible testimony. Testimony means nothing from a non-credible source or a non-credible witness. And Luke, the gospel writer, the great physician, I think he is keenly aware of this. If we were able to go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Luke tells us that he's writing to a man named Theophilus. He says to provide an orderly account of the things that have taken place regarding Jesus. In other words, Luke, he did his homework. He didn't just wake up one day and sit down and start writing. Guided by the Holy Spirit, Luke compiled evidence. He spoke to eyewitness testimonies and he put together documentation to present an accurate portrait of Jesus. In our text this morning, Luke goes to great detail to not only 
present an accurate testimony of Jesus Christ, but to highlight the credibility of those providing this testimony, especially in terms of Simeon and Anna. So here's what I, I want us to learn regarding the child this morning, Jesus Christ. Here's what I think their testimony tells us. Here's our main point this morning, that Jesus is the perfect son who came to accomplish the Father's mission and to expose the hearts of mankind. Jesus is the perfect Son. He's the one who came to accomplish the Father's mission. And He came to expose the hearts of mankind. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 21 and I'll read down to verse down to verse 38. And at the end of 8 days when he was circumcised he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phinael of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then a a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Verse 39, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray my prayer. I've prayed for my own heart this week. I pray for us this morning that, Lord, that you would give me a heart of Simeon. Lord, that I would say it is enough that I have seen with my own eyes your salvation in the Lord Jesus. That, Lord, the the conviction of his heart, the assurance of his hope, 
The promises that he clung so dearly to, he knew they were fulfilled in seeing the Christ. Lord, let us this morning, by your word, through your spirit, show us fresh again, Lord, that your Son, our Savior, Lord, he is the fulfillment of our hopes and our longings. He's the center and the embodiment of our salvation. Lord, He is everything we need. Lord, help our time these next 30 minutes be to that end, to see Jesus in that way. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. I made it through the opening prayer without unbuttoning my jacket. (laughs) When I... I don't wear a suit. You guys see that often. I wore one. I wore a tie this morning and I dropped my coffee and splashed all over my face, all over my suit, all over everything. So it was a fun morning. So I want to dive right in. Three really aspects about Jesus that comes from their testimony. The first one is this. Verses 21 to 24, that Jesus is the son who fulfills all righteousness. That's who he is. He's the son who fulfills all righteousness. We begin in verse 21, which seems to sit by itself in this chapter. Probably the situating of this verse in your Bible probably makes this clear. Some of you, some, for some of you, it's probably connected to the preceding narrative we, we read last week. For some, it's probably placed down with the text this morning. And then for some of you, it might even be sitting apart like it is in my translation. But this verse really provides an important detail concerning Jesus and Mary and Joseph we must not overlook. Verse 21 really serves as a bridge connecting last week's text concerning Jesus' birth and this week his presentation of him in the temple. Verse 21, it says, And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, our section of Scripture this morning is really held together by this theme of obedience to the Old Testament law. Luke reiterates that point five times in this short section. Everything is done according to the law of Moses, verse 22. As it is written in the law of the Lord, verse 23. According to what is said in the law of the Lord, verse 24. To do for him according to the custom of the law, verse 27. And then as a summary statement in verse 39, we, uh, we read, When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. Jesus was born a Jew. He was born to Jewish parents who were devoted to living obedient lives under the law and raising Jesus in the same manner. Luke is deliberate in presenting the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph and their commitment to raise their firstborn son according to everything written in the law. So as was prescribed by the law, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. And for the first time, He was called Jesus, the name He was assigned from heaven. And Mary, being ceremonially unclean according to the law for 40 days... After giving birth, she was prohibited from coming to the temple during this period. But after 40 days, the law prescribed for her, as well as Joseph, to come and present her firstborn son and offer a sacrifice to the Lord, which is the scene of our text this morning. 
Verse 22, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to the to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The law called for a lamb to be sacrificed as a burnt offering and a pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. As Leviticus 12.8 tells us, if a lamb could not be afforded, the law prohibited two turtle doves or two pigeons instead. So we see here that Joseph and Mary brought the offering of the poor, at least not of the rich, which again reiterates our point last week of the humility of Jesus' entrance into the world. But why all this? Why does Luke go to such pangs to present all of these details regarding the presentation of Jesus? Why include the details of these ceremonial matters? And why include the fact that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law of Moses? Was circumcision even necessary for Jesus? It was a, an act commanded to Abraham and his offspring as a sign of God's covenant promise. It marked God's special people, special relationship with His people. But the necessity and the boundaries of such a covenantal relationship were ultimately due to the reality of sin. Among many things, circumcision was a symbolic sign of God's grace in having a person's sin being removed or cut off. Circumcision pointed to God's grace of the, uh, of the removal of one's sin by faith, we know in, in Romans. So why in the world would Jesus be circumcised? He wasn't born with a sin nature like us. He was sinless, the Bible says. So why would Luke include these ceremonial details of Jesus in the temple and this reality of circumcision? The Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ was born under the law. Everything that was required of Israel was required of Israel's Redeemer and Messiah. So it was necessary that Mary and Joseph, as devout Jews, would see to it that their child was raised according to the law. And, their, and this obedience to the law here in the earliest years of Jesus' life point to that which would characterize Jesus' entire life. Remember Jesus' response to John the Baptist? When asked, when he, he was asked, he said, why should I baptize Jesus? Jesus said, you must do this. Not as a sign of, of my need for cleansing, but to fulfill all righteousness, he says. Galatians 4.4, 4, I think we've quoted this text every week, says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So to accomplish our redemption, to accomplish our salvation, Jesus not only had to be born at the proper time, He had to be born in the proper manner. He was born of a woman, taking on the fullness of humanity, and He was born under the law. Being born under the law means one is obligated to keep the law perfectly in order to enjoy a right standing before God. 
By being born under the law. Jesus consented to fulfill the law's demand so that we could be released from its penalty, its death sentence. We occurred from our disobedience to it. One author says, Christ chose to become liable to keep the law that exemption from it might be obtained for us. Like There was a, a season in my life where I worked for a wholesale grocery uh, department. And for a few years I was responsible for, for hiring for multiple departments. I would interview lots of great people. Um, but if they didn't have the right credentials for the job they were applying for, it didn't matter. It didn't matter how nice they were or what experience they had. If they didn't have a forklift license, I couldn't hire them to drive a forklift. One young man could not understand that I could not hire him to drive our semi-truck because he did not have a CDL license. Without proper credentials, they could not fulfill the role. Jesus came to fulfill a role for you and for me. And He came to purchase our redemption by His death upon the cross. And Jesus had all the right credentials. Luke painstakingly makes this point in the first two chapters of his gospel. We've noted this. Jesus was born in the right town, Bethlehem, as was prophesied. He came through the proper line, the lineage of David, as was prophesied. He was birthed in the right manner of a woman, the Virgin Mary, as was prophesied. And he was born under the law. And he was raised according to the law. And he would live his entire life in perfect fulfillment of the law. Listen, our salvation, your salvation, demands both the death of Christ and the obedient life of Christ. It's not enough for our sins to be removed by Christ's death. We also need a positive record of righteousness. Obedience that fulfills the demands of the law. And Jesus alone provides that. Look, when Peter states in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is, there is salvation in no one else, or there is no other name under heaven given among by which men must be saved, Peter is not being mean or narrow-minded. He's not being mean-spirited. Peter is stating a fact. There is no salvation outside of Jesus because there is no one with the proper credentials who can save us from the real problem of sin. Jesus died the death we deserve for our sin. We're saved by the death of Jesus. But the death He accomplished needed to save us was, was, uh, was enough because of the righteous life that He lived. Look, our problem is sin. God is holy and righteous and we're not. And each of us will have to stand before God and give an account. There's two options, and two options only. Your righteousness, or the righteousness of Christ. And look, we can, we can mask that up, we can talk about that in many different ways, we can mask your righteousness in all sort of good works, all sort of different religions, But it's either your righteousness 
or Christ's righteousness. You need the perfect righteousness of another, which only Jesus provides. Two questions, rhetorical questions for you. If you were walking somewhere on the elevator, maybe we could say, going to work, and someone came up to you and asked the question, it's a rhetorical question, are you approved? Are you accepted by God? What would your answer be? Second question, upon what basis? Upon what basis? If it's anything other than the righteous life and the substitutionary death of Jesus, I love you enough to say you're mistaken. We need a righteousness not of our own. Yes, we can look to one another. My wife is much more righteous than me when you compare each other. The comparison is not one another. The standard is not one another. The standard is a holy, righteous, perfect God. We need a perfect righteousness to stand before a perfect God. And Christmas is about God sending us that righteousness in the Lord Jesus. From the moment of His birth to the early days of His life to His entire existence on this earth, the Bible says that He lived a sinless life. He lived the life that we should have lived. And therefore, He accomplished the death that we deserve. Giving us the redemption that we need. Jesus is the Son who fulfills all righteousness. So maybe a question you want to write down this morning is this for Christmas. Both for, maybe you don't call yourself a Christian, maybe you do. But what are you trusting in this morning? Who are you trusting in this morning? If you're not a believer, that especially has a pointed edge to it for you in a loving way. Who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? But for us as believers... Who and what are you trusting in to live your Christian life? It must be in Christ and what He's accomplished for us. He's the Son who came to fulfill all righteousness. But secondly, Jesus is the Son who accomplished the Father's mission. Verses 25 to 32. As I said earlier, Luke understands the importance of a credible witness. Here in 25 through 38, I think we receive we do receive marvelous testimony concerning the identity of this child and it comes by way of two very credible witnesses. That's Luke's point. Notice how he introduces this man named Simeon. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. A man, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. We read nothing of his vocation or his exact age really. It's safe to, I think, assume by his language here that he's an older man. Luke points out he was righteous and devout. That's what we need to know. Simeon was a no high-ranking official. He held no political or religious power. He was a simple, godly, righteous man who was awaiting the consolation of Israel, the end of verse 25 says. In other words, he believed God's promise of future hope. And salvation was going to come to pass. Simeon was a man of deep faith. 
He, he clung tightly to the promises of God. He was a, a faithful, trustworthy man. His testimony is accurate and credible. But Simeon was more than just a godly man. He was a recipient of divine revelation. God had revealed something to Simeon by way of the Holy Spirit, verse 26 says. In fact, again, Luke stacks this up on us. He, he actually includes this important detail three times. Look at verse 25 to 27. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would, see the, the, that he would not see death before he had seen uh, the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit, into the temple. You see Luke's point here. The Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would see the Christ or the Lord's Messiah before he died. Simeon clung to this promise. Though it was probably years since he received it. Simeon had probably been coming to the temple awaiting to see the Messiah for years. I don't know, this is honest preacher speculation, it's not in the text, but I can imagine an older man in the temple, year after year, season after season, people come and, Dad, who is that man? I, I don't know, son, he, he might be a little crazy, I, I don't know, he's always here, he's awaiting. The coming of the Messiah, apparently the Lord told him he's going to see him. Against all the, the vain worship and the, the blatant idolatry and the unfaithfulness of Israel, which was so present, we know this. Simeon clung to the promise from his God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Simeon's spiritual sight was much stronger than his physical sight. He was able to see beyond that which was in front of him to the promises of God. Can you this Christmas season? Do you this Christmas season? Or is your life completely just informed by what's in front of you? There's a difference between aging and maturing. Now, some of you can amen that a little louder than I can, but... I do have a 17-year-old. Aging is aging. Maturing, though, in the Christian life is, is not acting. Not being enamored. Not being distracted by everything right in front of you. It's seeing beyond what's in front of you to the promises of God. Maturity is patience. Maturity is steadfastness. Maturity is endurance. That's what we see in this man named Simeon. In verse 27, the same Holy Spirit who gave Simeon this revelation now leads him to cross paths with Mary and Joseph in the temple. It's then when Simeon's faith becomes sight. What he had longed to see, he now sees. He sees and he knows this to be the Messiah. And he takes the Lord Jesus into his arms and he gives us this fourth great song in Luke this far. 
Simeon burst into a, a doxology or really an anthem of praise to God in verse 28. Look at it. Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The now here points to the significance of this day as the fulfillment of God's promise to him. Simeon's announcement is now, his announcement is that he's now content to die, to go in peace. Why? Because his eyes have seen God's salvation. Look, Jesus is the embodiment of God's salvation. Simeon proclaims he has seen enough. He doesn't need to see Jesus grow. He doesn't need to see Jesus' miraculous healings. He doesn't need to, to hear His teaching. Simeon says, I've seen enough. It's enough for me, Lord. I've seen God's salvation. Prepared not in private, but in the presence of all peoples, the text says. God has sent salvation to all people because He has sent His Messiah in the birth of this child. You learn, I want you to hear this this morning. God is, an important word, God is a saving God. That is who He is at His essence. He is a rescuing, saving God. Don't ever think that God does not want to hear your heartfelt, honest cry for help. He gets to act out of His own person on your behalf when He hears it. He is a rescuer. He is salvation. This is who He has made Himself known to be in the Lord Jesus. The birth of the Lord Jesus forever marks the identity of our God as Savior, Rescuer. Listen to Paul's words in Titus chapter 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appears, what a beautiful statement about the Lord Jesus. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not in our own works and our own effort. But according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom He poured out, out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Here it is again. Our Savior. All the salvation of God. All of His forgiveness, all of His redemption, all of His promises, all of His comfort, all of His rescuing power, all of His adoption, all of His grace, all of His mercy, all of His unending love is in the clutches of Simeon's hand in this child. God is our Savior in Jesus Christ. And this salvation is not limited to some sort of political deliverance confined within the borders of Israel. No, it's for all peoples, 
All nations. This has always been God's mission. Simeon beautifully summarizes the twofold nature of God's salvation in Jesus when he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Here it is. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is so good. Did you notice the order of Simeon's proclamation? This Jewish man, this devout, faith-filled Jew, waiting for the consolation of Israel, testifies of God's intention for the Gentiles as being primary here. He listed the Gentiles first. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What is this all about? I thought Israel was God's covenant people. Does this mean that God has rejected Israel? Of course not. Israel remains God's chosen people. His promises are irrevocable. But God had chosen Israel to accomplish His mission of declaring the glory of His great name to the nations. And Jesus, the Messiah, the true Israelite, has come to accomplish the mission that Israel had failed to do. Israel had misunderstood God's salvation to mean the coming of the Messiah to establish their kingdom so they could rule over the Gentile world. But this was never God's plan. The glory of Israel was always bound up with them being a light to the nations. I want to read from you a longer section of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 49. If you want to do some homework, go back and begin reading in about Isaiah chapter 38 to 40 and read through. We'll really unpack what's all behind Simeon's language here. Simeon's language is full of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 1. I think it will be on the screen. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. And, and surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, listen to what he says here. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the, pres the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Amen. Jesus is the Son Amen. who has not only come to fulfill the righteousness that Israel and that each of us failed to keep, we broke covenant. We sinned. But He also is the Son who came to accomplish the mission Israel failed to accomplish. Israel was called to be God's servant to extend God's glory and His message of salvation to the ends of the earth. And they failed. 
But Jesus is the true servant of the Lord. Keep reading in Isaiah. And He is the true Israelite. Born a Jew. To come to accomplish the Father's mission. Jesus would live. He would call 12 Jewish men. To live with Him. To pour His life into Him. To die for them. To empower them. And then commission them to take His message of salvation to the ends of the earth. And we sit here this morning as a testimony to that reality. But Jesus came. Jesus sent the Son of God that the people of God might go. I want us to hear that this Christmas season. Because we sit here and we receive all of the blessings of salvation that come to us in Christmas in the birth of the Lord Jesus. We know that He would be raised, that He would live, and He would purchase our salvation. All of that is wrapped up in the message of Christmas. But we must not miss what Israel missed. That He came so that we might go. He came that His light of salvation would be proclaimed. That people might know Him. The Christmas story is not just a message we are to embrace. It is that. But it's a message we're to proclaim. Maybe we can say it this way. The manger marks us as missionaries. The manger marks each of us if we have the Spirit of God in us as missionaries. Jesus came to fulfill the Father's mission by empowering us to proclaim His message of salvation to the ends of the earth. Thirdly, Jesus is the Son who cannot be avoided. Jesus is the Son who cannot be avoided. Like Simeon Luke's presentation of the prophetess, Anna is deliberate. Her credibility is undeniable. She's a woman of devotion to God. Verse 36 says she was a, a prophetess. She was a daughter of Phineal, who was of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. She had been married for seven years and then widowed for the rest of her life. This means either she was widowed for 84 additional years or she was widowed until she was the age of 84. You can figure that one out over lunch. Whatever the case, Anna was a woman who chose a lifetime of service to God over remarriage. An honorable thing to do. Her daily activity consisted of worship, prayer and fasting, day and night at the temple, it says. She was totally focused on serving God. Again, an exemplary woman with a, as a credible witness. And while Anna was at the temple, the Lord providentially brought her into connection with the baby Jesus. And her response is similar to Simeon. She gives thanks and praise to God for He was the one who was bringing about this redemption of Israel. Very similar to Simeon's consolation of Israel. Upon seeing this child, both Simeon and Anna burst forth in praise, testifying to the salvation and the redemption of God in Jesus Christ. 
But I want to I want to turn our attention to verses 33 and 35 here at the end. Because we hear a different note than celebration and praise. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul, Mary. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon's tone here changes. The news thus far has been amazing, triumphant, exuberant. Jesus is the son of the most high. The king who will reign on David's throne forever. The promised Messiah, the salvation of God. But Simeon's words end here on a negative note of sorts. He says this child is going to divide. He has been appointed, decreed, ordained for the fall and rising of many in Israel. This is the first time, first hint of the coming rejection and suffering of the Lord Jesus in Luke's Gospel. And it comes when Jesus is a baby. The death of Jesus was no accident. The death of Jesus wasn't the result of some you know, bad circumstances. It was appointed by the Father. It was the plan of the Father. Jesus is not only the servant of Isaiah. He's the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And the imagery of falling and rising again takes us back to Isaiah where God's promised Messiah is described as a stone. For some, the Messiah will be a stumbling stone. They will fall over. But for others, He will become a a precious cornerstone whom they will stake their lives on. To many, Jesus will be opposed and rejected. These will fall. But for some, they will embrace Him and receive Him. These will rise. Look, the the Son of God was sent to divide. I began with John chapter 3, the verse we all know. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. It says that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. But we usually stop right there. The world's already condemned. We're already sinners. All of us are condemned before God apart from Christ. We're in our sin. He's a holy and righteous God. He doesn't need to send Him to condemn. We're already condemned. He sent us to find salvation. To purchase eternal life for us. That we might believe in Him. The Lord Jesus was appointed for this task. But He's also going to have a negative effect on Mary. Simeon uses graphic imagery to depict that Mary's soul will be pierced by a very large, broad, two-edged sword. Jesus is going to bring extreme emotional pain to his mom. I think Simeon is probably referring to two things, a combination of two things, but they hang together. If you remember, there's a, a pain and a sorrow he brings her. As he creates, he says, a new family of disciples. Luke chapter 2, 41 to 52. And the second is the, the pain and the sorrow he brings by engaging in a ministry with such dedication 
They try to call back Jesus back many times. But such a dedication that will lead to his death. Mary would watch her child that she nursed, that she raised. Hang. Die. The one she probably watched out the window play. She watched him hang. She watched him yell. She watched him be pierced in his side and die. Look, there's a, there's a, a humanity, a gravity to the coming of the Lord Jesus we must not miss. He became man. He was born of a woman, born under the law. He lived in this world. He was a man. Yes, He was a divine man. He was God. But He took upon all of that which He would save. Me and you. He lived. He raised. And He died. Mary's soul would be pierced. It is this life and this death which divides. It causes the, the rising and falling of many. He comes, as the text says, so that thoughts of hearts may be revealed. Jesus reveals what's in a person's heart. Jesus reveals our true colors. Here's the reality. You can't remain neutral with Jesus. You can't. You either come to Him as your King or you reject Him to be your own King. Jesus can't be avoided. The birth of Jesus we celebrate at Christmas is bound up with suffering and death upon the cross for our sins. It's bound up with this teaching that we are sinners. It's a reality you know. You know it on the news channel. Something's wrong with the world. I don't have to argue that point to you. Something's wrong in the world. Something's wrong in our family. Something's wrong in our community. What we have to step back and reflect upon and think is when we're brushing our teeth in the morning and looking at ourselves, we have to recognize and admit that what's out there begins in here. I'm a sinner. And Jesus came to rescue us and save us from our sin. Jesus came for this purpose which exposes each of our hearts. Everyone in this room, everyone this Christmas season must respond to Jesus. That's just the reality. You can't duck it. No response is a response. We either accept Him as the Lord and Savior. We either accept Him as who the Bible presents Him to be. As our rescuer. Or we reject Him. There's no neutral place to stand. And I'm saying that with as much sensitivity but honesty as I can. 
That's a question for all of us this morning. Where do we stand with the Lord Jesus? Jesus is the Son who fulfills all righteousness. So who are you trusting in this morning? Live the life that you need, that I need. We all need. Are you trusting in Him? Have you seen your sin before righteous God and have you confessed, repented, turned from it and turned to the Christ, the Rescuer? Are you trusting Him? Jesus is also the Son who accomplishes the Father's mission. Who are you living for this Christmas season? Who am I living for? Who are, you li- who are we living for? He came to fulfill the Father's purpose, His divine purpose. He decreed it before the beginning of time. That's the meaning and the purpose of all human history. Who are we living for? And Jesus is a son who cannot be avoided. But here's a question I want to say to you. Maybe I can soften it a bit. Why would you want to avoid him? <laughs> Have you seen him? That he would come, that he would leave the throne of heaven to come down. No one has pursued you like Christ. Take upon humanity. Live a life. Experience everything we experience. But without sin. And he would die. And he would say, it is finished. Accomplishing everything that we need for our salvation. And then the Bible says that he rose again in power. Demonstrating that sin has no hold on him. And he would offer us eternal life. Who else is going to do that for you? Why would you want to avoid Him this Christmas season? As we close, maybe a few application places we can probably go. If you're not a believer, I think the application is clear. Who is Jesus to you? Or how would you answer that question? Someone asks you, are you accepted by God? Maybe, I I don't know. Upon what basis are you accepted before God? If you want to know more about that question, I will help you think through that. If you want to, today you say, man, I want Jesus this Christmas season. I recognize I need Him. I'm a sinner in need of His grace. Then you, you pray to Him. You confess your sin to Him. You confess your need for what He said He came to do to save you from your sins. You accept what He did upon the cross for you by faith. You cry out to Him. That's who He is in His person. He's a Savior. He wants to hear you. Church, this morning, who are we trusting in? We're trusting in our own selves, our own righteousness to live the Christian life. We're trusting in Christ. The one who came to fulfill all righteousness. Are we living for Him? Do we see our parenting, our marriage, our employment, 
our hobbies, our skills, our giftings, everything that God's given us, do we see that for the advancement of the Father's mission to proclaim Him this Christmas season? Are we avoiding Him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you alone know the hearts of man. You alone know the, the full thoughts of man. And Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would impress upon all of our hearts. Cause us to be honest before you this morning. Help us, the Lord, to lay our lives before you and be honest about what we're trusting in. Lord, to be honest about those holes in our life that we can't quite answer. What is this thing I struggle with? Is it sin? What does that mean for me? And do I need help in this figure named Jesus? I pray you would press that upon the hearts of your people this morning. Lord, I, press, I pray you would press upon all of our hearts this morning that you are a Savior. That's who you are. That's who we know you to be. And let us look to you for, first and foremost, for your salvation that you've accomplished for us. You made us right before you. You promise us uh, eternal inheritance in heaven. And Lord, we live in this life now informed and motivated by your love, your grace, your gospel to live for you. Lord, it's Christmas season. Help us to recapture our wonder, Lord. See us, see you for who you are. Lord, and be able to proclaim you to our neighbors. Give us time, Lord, to listen to people's stories where they're hurting, where they're struggling. Give us boldness, Lord, to point people to the end of their struggles is the Lord Jesus. Father, guard us this season. Give us hearts to wonder in You. Lord, we love You. Thank You. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.